going through the book of Luke for two reasons. So that we can see who Jesus is and so that we can know how to live now in this dark world. And what you're going to see today is that Jesus actually believed in demons and a real Satan that is behind so much of the evil, chaos, and destruction that is raging in our world. And if you're thinking, oh, here we go, Brad, it's only Christians that still believe in crazy stuff like this. Then let me ask you, let me ask you why books like Tolkien's Lord of the Rings captures the minds of so many people all over the world, both Christian and non-Christian. In 2003, Britain voted Lord of the Rings as best loved book in all of Britain. And a year later, the film version was ranked in Australia as the top favorite film beating out Star Wars. So why would so many people be enthralled with hobbits, arcs, a powerful ring, and an all-seeing evil eye? I think it's because Lord of the Rings brings into view and puts on display something we all sense but cannot see. The war that is raging between goodness and evil, light and dark, that just keeps sucking us in and blowing us apart, no matter how hard we work to identify the enemy and to make real and lasting peace in our world. We all know there's a problem. And we long for a lasting, life-changing solution. Turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and you follow along as I begin reading in verse 26. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you. Do not torment me, for Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of him. In other words, Jesus started talking as soon as he got off the boat. Jesus knew he was there, and Jesus had already been speaking. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion. A legion was a Roman military unit that was comprised of 6,000 soldiers. So we don't know if that means he had 6,000 demons or just lots. He said, we are legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss Satanic forces, demons, dark forces, they know their ultimate destination. They already know where they're headed, what God has planned for them. They beg, not now, not now. Don't send us into the abyss now. 
Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave permission. Then the demons came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Again, a visible representation of what Satan and demonic forces are ultimately all about. Death and destruction. Death and destruction. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled. And they told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man whom the de- from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country... Now, this is a surprising verse, but you need to understand it's still true today. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to depart from them. People are disturbed by Jesus. They're disturbed by what's wrong in our world, but they're also disturbed by Jesus. For they were seized with great fear... So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone, he begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So what can we learn about the problem of evil that we're still facing today from this passage? Number one, number one, don't overestimate what you think we can do to defeat evil on our own. Oh, men and women acknowledge evil. I know there's philosophy departments that still smoke pipes and wear turtlenecks and debate a little bit. Is there evil? Is there evil? The strength of those arguments just keep diminishing as the world keeps blowing up. Most people don't question evil. The question is, what keeps fueling it and feeding it? Why can't we stop it? Why can't we fix this? What is going on? For centuries, men and women... Keep thinking if we just get ourselves together, if we just get our best minds together, if we just pile up enough technology and money and education in the right place, get it all in the right place at the right time with the right minds, we can deal with our biggest human problems on our own. We can do it. We're going to put an end to poverty. We'll put an end to the sex trade. We're going to put an end to racism and so much more. But no matter how many movements are launched, how many committees are formed, and how much money we spend on it, it all just keeps raging in a most disheartening way. Have you noticed? Why? I'll tell you why. Because we need more than a human solution. We need a supernatural intervention from above because we cannot fix this mess on our own. And the level of darkness that we're up against, they keep keep underestimating the level of darkness and the complexity of darkness and overestimating what we can do with human resources. 
They keep underestimating the level of, you, you guys, you realize this problem of evil is complex. It is not simple. It is not simple. The level of darkness that we're up against is beyond anything we could overcome with money and technology and education. Because our world, our world basically ignores two of the three aspects of what keeps feeding and fueling this evil. Our world doesn't recognize all that is at play with the evil we are up against. You see, this problem of evil, this problem of evil is inside every one of us. And it keeps bubbling up from our own human sinful condition. It's inside. The problem is not outside of us, you guys. It's inside of us. And, and no matter how bad things get, the world still holds on to. People are basically good. It's not individual people. It's a system. It's corporate. It's, it's out there somewhere. People are still good. The Bible says this problem of evil is inside every one of us. And it keeps bubbling up from our own sinful condition. The problem of evil, yes, is around us. In this broken world system. The Bible does talk about this world system. And they love to point to that. But guess what? This problem of evil is above us and over us. Also, in a spiritual realm of evil forces that you cannot see. But we feel the effects of day after day after day. If you push off the table, and our world has the goodness and power of God. That doesn't exist, and we don't need it. And you push off the table the real evil of a Satan and demonic forces. And you push off the table the reality of our own human depravity, the depravity of the human heart. And you decide, oh, yes, We're going to fix this. If you decide that selfishness, violence, war, murder, crime, abuse, poverty, ethnic cleansing, racism, and more can all be reduced, analyzed, understood, and fully resolved on a human level with human power and resources, then you will stay frustrated, confused, and constantly asking Why do we keep doing these things to each other? Why? What is going on? Who's to blame? How do we fix this once and for all? Our world just stays confused every time there's something heinous that occurs. Every time I love to read. And if you do any reading, you guys, not picking on the Germans. They just represent humanity. The Nazi regime and Hitler was not that long ago, you guys. Read about it. They did not lack for education. They did not lack for lots of things. And that's what they were capable of doing to other. You don't even have to reach that far back. You, you go to Yugoslavia and Serbia and all that. And you're like, oh my goodness. You're watching the news like this problem of evil is inside of us. Not just a world system. And it's above us and around us in a spiritual realm of darkness. It is quite complex And it is on a level that we will not conquer 
on our own. Look at the middle of verse 29 again. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Now, let me go ahead and give a disclaimer right here so that you don't hold on the whole sermon thinking, now, when's he going to talk about demon possession? I got to figure out, is my child actually demon possessed? That would change everything. Is my boss demon possessed? Her head keeps spinning around. You know, he's going to talk about exorcisms and all kinds of, ha, not going to do that. No. I'm going to talk about something instead that we can all relate to. All right? So don't be sitting there now saying, wow, I don't run around naked. I'm not wild. I'm not a wild man or woman. I'm not living in the tombs naked outside the city. Good, good. (laughs) But could we just be honest? Could we just be honest? Don't put yourself outside of this passage. I want you to see yourself In this passage. Because you don't have to be demon possessed. To know what this verse feels like. To know what it feels like. When the grip of your own sin nature. Just seizes you in a moment. And drives you to do things. That are destructive to yourself. And others around you. All the while you keep saying. I don't want to do this. But I don't want to do this. And here I am again. What is wrong with me? I said I wouldn't do this again. What is wrong with me? I actually love these people. But I'm hurting myself and them. What is wrong with me? And if you're sitting there saying. No I don't. Just keep living life. And stop lying. Because this is a reality. That you will bump up against and sometimes be startled and even scared and surprised by you. What is this? What is this that at times just seizes me and drives me and compels me? Let me help you. You're not likely demon possessed. But you have a sin nature that is so alive. And even if you're a believer, is at war with the spirit in you. And still longs and wants what it wants. And is still to some degree attracted by the siren voice of the world. And then compounded by the voice of your enemy that lies to you. That's what's going on. You can feel it just grip and seize and drive and compel. Think about how often, if you were honest, you feel out of control. Sometimes a, a scene will end. I hope. I hope it happens to you. Well, I don't hope it happens to you, but I wish you'd acknowledge this. And when the dust settles, you're like, oh my goodness, how did I get there? How did it go to that point? How did I end up saying all that, doing all that? Think about how often you feel out of control and overwhelmed by destructive habits and driven in ways that surprise and even scare you at times about yourself. So this passage teaches us that the biggest problems we face here in this world, you guys, will never be resolved on a human level with psychological, sociological, physiological, or financial solutions. Not going to happen. We actually need God to do something for us we cannot do for ourselves, and he did. That's what Jesus is all about. That's what Jesus is all about. You and I actually need the power of Jesus 
to save us from the evil on every level. Evil within us, evil around us, evil above us. You and I need Jesus to save us from the evil, not just around us, but in us, around us, over us. But human beings, ooh, ooh, we refuse to acknowledge the depth of the problem, the complexity of the problem. We refuse to acknowledge. We just keep thinking, if we just suck it up, if I just suck it up, And I start doing all I'm capable of doing. Believe in the you. Believe in you. Reach down deep. If I keep going to classes that tell me you can be anything you want to (sighs) be. We just came through the Olympics. So there's always just lots of that kind of. Please. These people in the Olympics were born from the womb. Boom. Very gifted. Very gifted. You are probably very average. You are not going NFL. You are not going pro. You are not going anything. You can believe it all day long. You can look in the mirror and say, I believe in the me I see. I believe in the me I see and still not get there. Don't hear me saying don't work hard, but this is nonsense. If you believe in yourself enough and if we buy into the slogan long enough that if we'll all just pull together, we could make this world a better place. But it never happens because we never do because we can't. We can't. We can't. This passage says, no, you actually need a savior. You need divine intervention. I need divine intervention because we do not have the power to get free or stay free on our own. We don't have it. In fact, a greater authority from outside of us has to speak in to us to lift this blindness and break the power that controls us so often and drives us towards destruction. I hope you realize, I I don't know that I've ever worked with a demon-possessed person. Hope that doesn't shock you, but I hope that says to you, that is not the biggest problem we're facing in America. But have I sat with men and women that it's like lights out? It's like, yes, they don't even recognize, I see what you're doing. I see what's killing you. It's killing your family. It's killing everything. And it's just lights out. I want what I want. I want what I want. I want you, please, to show me how to keep doing what I'm doing, going after what I'm going after, but I'd like to get better results. But I don't want to change. I don't want to change. What keeps someone that stupid, right? Everybody I'm working with is not like low IQ. Sin will make you stupid. Sin will make you blind. Sin will take you captive and will lead you further than you ever meant to go and do more harm to you than you ever meant to see happen as well as those around you. That's the power of sin. That's the power of our enemy. That's the power of your own flesh that can seize you in a moment and drive you towards things that you're like, oh my goodness, what is going on? Look at, the, look at this outside power I'm talking about, verse 29. 
For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. Apparently, as soon as Jesus got off the boat, he was aware of the man and he was already speaking. Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. I want you to think again and realize you don't have to be demon-possessed to need the power of God outside of you to speak into you or you will continue to live like a wild man, wild woman. It might be a very respectable outward version, but you are not in control of you. And you're not free. You're not free. It's not flattering, you guys. It's not, it's not, this is not going to get me invited into the public school system to speak to kids. It's not flattering, but it's what the Apostle Paul actually tells us in 2 Corinthians 4. I've put it in your bulletin. 2 Corinthians 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, you know, when you try to share the gospel or you talk about Jesus, don't you get a sense very often? It's like, dink, falls to the ground. Dink, falls to the ground. Like, what is up? Now, there's a place for thinking, am I asking good questions? Am I sharing this as clearly as I could? But let me help you. Do not beat yourself up and go nuts over, I got to get better at doing this or I'm going to quit because I don't see a lot of results. We are not doing the heavy lifting. You can have a stumble, bumble, poor presentation in your weakness and God's spirit can choose to use it. Hallelujah. We're not doing the heavy lifting. What it is is people are dead in trespass and sin. They're blind and they're captive to our enemy, Satan. Unless God's spirit brings some light, it's lights out. And so that's why he says, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Now, he's not talking about a certain group of people somewhere that are so wild this has happened to them. He's talking about human beings from birth. This is how you're born. Whose minds, the God, little g, that's Satan, the God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. That's why don't go around talking about yourself. Don't, don't tell your story without talking about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservant, for Jesus' sake. And then he uses an illustration to help you understand what has to happen. Just like this world, Genesis says, was dark and void. There was no order. There was no light. There was no God just with a word said, let there be light. And there was. He's saying that's exactly what has to happen spiritually. For the God, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness If you're here and you know Jesus, if you're here and you have a robe of righteousness, if you're here and you're enjoying the sweetness of adoption and you know his righteousness is your righteousness, you know there's no condemnation right now to those who are in Christ Jesus. You know you have an inheritance that can't be taken from you. Here's what happened to you. Just like God commanded light to shine out of darkness, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Why was it? Most people would say, very few people say, the first time I heard the gospel, I said, oh my goodness, this is good news. Where have I been? Not in America. It's like I heard it growing up. I heard it in a church. I heard it. And then one time at a funeral, I heard it like I'd never heard it before. One time I was sitting with a friend and they sh- I heard it like I've never, what is going on? 
The Spirit of God spoke light into your dark heart and allowed you to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God where in the face of Jesus Christ, suddenly he was beautiful. Suddenly it was desirous. Suddenly it was good news. Suddenly you wanted it. God's Spirit worked. Here's what, here's what you gotta recognize. The Spirit of God has to turn the spiritual light's on in anybody's heart. You say, then why do we share the gospel? Because he told us so. All right, shut up. I'm not supposed to say that. Sorry, parents of young children. Don't ever say that unless you're preaching. <laughs> we share the gospel because he told us to. He uses this message and, and our reward is the same. Our reward is for sharing. Our reward is for sowing. Our reward is for sowing. So, so, so. He's the Lord of the harvest. And it's his good pleasure when and where he's going to put his sickle in. And sometimes you get to see it and sometimes you don't. But you live faithful sowing the seed knowing Jesus is the only hope. The gospel is the only hope. God's word is powerful. I have the joy of being his ambassador. It's not like, I don't even know anyone who's come to faith in Christ. I'm going to quit this. You have no idea what God is doing. You have no idea how God's spirit is working. You have no idea how God's spirit has already been working in something, someone before you get there. We just get to be a part of what he's doing. But it's what he's doing and has to do. It's lights out. It's blindness. It's darkness. It's enslavement to sin unless God's spirit explodes with light. Just like God had to command light out of darkness, he has to shine the explosive light of the glory of his son into a heart. Otherwise, we will just keep stumbling around and groping in darkness for answers, refusing to turn to God, saying it can't be God. It can't be God. Oh my goodness, I want to live free. Oh, I don't want to be a Christian. That would be no fun. And you watch people just head further down a path of destruction. Why do they think that way? Their minds have been blinded. They are born blind to the goodness of Jesus and the gospel. And so I don't just share the gospel, you guys. I pray. We come back again. To, why pray? Because God has to do something, you guys. So I sow the word and I pray over it. I pray, I pray, I pray. The guy I talked about at the pool in, in California, my last real time to share the gospel, I've been praying for him every day. Every day with my hands lifted. God, save him, save him. I talked about you. You can do it, you can do it. I got a huge list of people that I pray for that I've shared the gospel with or I know someone else has. I speak. I pray, I speak, and I pray, I speak, and I pray. You say, well, then what can we do to get free from darkness? Well, look at what the demoniac did in verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. In other words, he saw Jesus for who he was and he fell down to worship because God's spirit was already lifting the fog and revealing to him who Jesus really is. In Mark chapter 5, we have a parallel passage of this same account, Mark's version. And in Mark 5, 6, Mark actually says, when he saw Jesus 
from afar, from a distance, he ran. He ran. He ran towards him. He didn't shuffle. He didn't say, I think I'll check this out. He ran. So here's what I want to say to you. Where do you stand with Jesus today? Where do you stand? What about you? Have you taken any time to consider who Jesus is? Seriously, desperately. Some of you have been considering Jesus from a distance for a while now. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home. You're not ignorant of some of the Christian things and gospel pieces. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home. Maybe you were taken to church. Maybe you've heard some of the Bible stories all jumbled together. Maybe you have a grandmother or a friend who who sometimes talks about Jesus. That's all in your life. But you are still considering him and watching him from a distance. It's all secondhand. You've not gotten serious. It's not personal and it's not intentional. You say, well, Brad, he's not here. He's not stepping off a boat at Florence Mall. I can't run to him. How would I do that? How would you do that? He had every confidence that people could as easily come to know him and love him and follow him today as they could in that day. In fact, this is a better day, you guys. You had to actually be in Capernaum when he was there to hear what he said to see him. You had to actually be in Damascus or be in Jerusalem. Now, he's given us his spirit and he's given us his word. Here's what running to Jesus would look like. Start reading one of the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And when you finish, read another one. And when you finish that one, read another one. And when you finish that one, read another one until you've read all four of the Gospels. I am shocked. I am shocked how many times I talk to people and they've got all this pushback. They've got, they've got all these thoughts that they've been taught in philosophy class or some book they read or a podcast they listened to or a BBC documentary or, or searching for the real Jesus doc. Lots of time spent all reading scholarly works that were written by men and women filled with critiques and criticisms and human opinions without ever examining the original source. Why would you do that? When I'm reading something and they quote where they're getting what they're getting, I go and I find that and I read it in context. And if they say, I want to get to the original source. This is the original source, you guys. Go here, go here, go here. And you say, but I don't believe the Bible is the word of God. You don't have to. Read it anyway. Because you don't have to believe that a lawnmower blade is sharp and powerful and can leave a lasting impact on you. Just stick your foot under there and see what happens. Doesn't matter what you believe. This is sharp and powerful. It's sharp and powerful. So let me go ahead and tell you what's happening. If, you, if you're here or you're listening online and you're that person guilty of that, our enemy Satan wants you to do everything else except actually read the Bible accounts. You're already being deceived. You're being taken advantage of. What is it that would cause you to resist so much? Yeah, but I'm not going to read the Bible. I'm actually not going to read the Bible. Let me tell you, our enemy 
is terrified that you would read this. This has changed lives for centuries. Now hear me. You may choose to reject Jesus. You have every right to do so as a thinking, volitional human being. Just don't do it on the basis of secondhand hearsay without ever having carefully examined it for yourself. Stop playing around. Stop using the smoke screen of, well, I saw this series and that settled it for me. If you haven't read the Gospels, go there. Go there. But now I want to say a word to Christians because I want you to understand, you don't just need the power of the gospel to save you from evil. You realize you need the power? You need the power of God's spirit to keep you from being sucked back into it, overwhelmed by it, and rendered useless by it. You say, what are you talking about, Brad? Oh, listen to me. The reason so many Christians, and there's so many, it breaks my heart. The reason so many Christians are living such defeated, depressing, and joyless Christian lives is because they fail to recognize the level of evil we are still up against. When you came to faith in Christ, Satan didn't say, oh, well, we lost another one. Let's go bother somebody else. People who are caught in sin and are destroying themselves, he leaves them alone. He's coming after you. He cannot take your salvation from you, but he, God's plan for reaching this dark world, buckle up, I know it's shocking, is us. You're like, oh, please, he's got to have something else. Nope. He said we would be this light in the world. Satan knows that. If he can render you fairly useless, paralyzed, debilitated, constantly overwhelmed with your own yuck, and you cannot get on your feet, that is a win for him. Christians fail to recognize the level of evil we're still up against. God never thought you could live the Christian life in your own strength without his supernatural resources that he's given us. Never, ever. That's what Paul's final exhortation in the glorious book of Ephesians is all about. Go to Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. But as you do, Let me correct some wrong thinking. So many times Christians read the Bible, and I'm glad you're reading the Bible, but they read it wrong. The Bible was never intended to be an encyclopedic index of topical issues. Oh, here's marriage, here's work, here's parenting. And now, praise God for the second half of Ephesians 6. It's about spiritual warfare, a thing unto itself. Don't do that. Guys, You realize the moment Paul says, therefore, in chapter 4, verse 1, because the first three chapters were what he's done for you, who he is, and what he's done. Who he is, and what he's done. Who you are, and who he is, and what he's done. No commands. And he says, therefore, and he starts saying, oh, my goodness, preserve the unity of the family of God. Don't blow up with each other. Don't. Oh, communication. Watch your mouth. Oh, unforgiveness. Oh, bitterness. Chapter five. Oh, marriage. Oh, oh, sexual immorality. Oh, chapter six, parenting. Oh, the workplace relationships and spiritual warfare. Notice how that passage begins. Chapter six, verse 10. Finally, finally, it's not a new subject. He's not starting a new. It's a concluding thought. A concluding thought about everything he's already said. Because he's saying, 
You could never do marriage on your own. And your spouse is not the enemy. You have an enemy. That's why he says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The wrestling with each other in the church family. The wrestling in a marriage. The wrestling with parent-child. The wrestling with employer-employee. He's saying, don't lose sight. There's something bigger. There's something more powerful and evil going on that if you're not aware of it, and you fight on this level thinking, oh, it's just people. He's like, I want you to understand. Spiritual warfare is nothing more than this one and the same. Your everyday struggles to fight sin and temptation in the midst of all your relationships and this world. Now, people love to write books. You can get online and buy them. Oh, my goodness. People write big, fat books about spiritual warfare with all kinds of complex, complicated, bizarre, now do this, say this, sling water around, cast this out. News alert. The Bible never talks that way. You ever notice that? You'll never find a verse in the New Testament that says, oh my goodness, you have a marriage problem, but the moment you realize, oh, it's spiritual warfare, you shift into shouting at things and casting things out. Nope, you're never gonna find it. That, that that you have going on, that is the warfare. That is it right there. And Satan is in it. So he wants you to know the real war. We're not wrestling against other people. He is at play and you need to know it. Starting in verse 10, chapter six. Finally, be strong in the Lord. So you gotta be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might to do marriage the way he's called you, to do parenting the way he's called you, to operate in the workplace with employee, employer. Be strong in the Lord. And the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's not saying sometimes you're in a special situation where this is a scheme of the devil. He is talking about everyday Christian life. This is what you're going into. Schemes. He's got schemes in the midst of all that we're trying to do. Here it is, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evils in the heavenly places. We've got Christians writing books trying to figure out what's the distinction of those four things and if it's this, that it, the Bible doesn't tell us. So please stop trying to speculate and just go with what he's given us. He wants you to feel, oh my goodness, we're up against something so much bigger and so much more evil. I better do what he says to do next. And here's what he says to do. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That would be now the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. All right. I look for repetition when I read my Bible. I think standing's an issue, don't you? Satan wants to knock you down, take you out, render you useless. It is not easy to stand. You'll have to be doing what God's word calls you to do or you won't be standing. You'll be lying there. Stand therefore, verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth. Here's the other thing. I've actually heard Christians say before, oh, when I get up in the morning, I put on the whole armor of God. I snap the belt of truth on. I put on the blessed blood. I put on. He never meant for you to pretend you were putting on armor. That does nothing. Satan's like, ha, that's real stupid. 
He wants you to do what that stands for. You won't have any truth. There'll be no belt of truth. You'll be depending on Fox News and CNN if you don't read the Bible. You want to snap on the belt of truth? You get up. It'll take you 30 seconds to pretend you put this armor on. You might have to get up 30, 45 minutes early to do what this actually is talking about. How will I know truth if I'm not reading his word? I gotta make time for his word. The belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that means you're so sure that his righteousness is your righteousness that he can't beat you up by saying, look at you, who do you think you are? You call yourself a Christian and you're like, that's why I need a great savior. The righteousness of Jesus is mine, has been imputed to me. I only know that as I read Romans. I only know that as I read Ephesians. I only know that as I read Hebrews. It says I have a better high priest, better sacrifice, better mediator, better hope. If you're not reading the Bible, you have no breastplate of righteousness. He can take you down as you just wallow, say, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. And not in a Michael Jackson kind of way, in a like... I just can't do anything. Breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That is not talking about you sharing the gospel. That's talking about you being so firm in what the gospel has done for your life and gospel implications that you have a sure footing. There are Christians that live constantly unsure of where they stand with God. They lack assurance. That's one of Satan's favorite devices. If you stay focused on you and you're constantly combing over your own life, you will not do much for the kingdom. Gospel boots. You know who you are in Christ. You've got a firm footing. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. What's the Bible say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the... Word of God. The only way you can take up the shield of faith is to take up the word of God and sit down and turn off talk radio and read it. Or you'll just be going into into the day with your shield dropped. It's not pretend and snap it on your arm, please. It means I got to do what I need to do so that there will be a shield of faith. Because here's what the reality is. He says, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. He's saying every day, you guys, every day he's firing flaming darts. Some of you look like a porcupine. You're just quilled up all over. And you wonder why you feel so anemic, so weak, so discouraged. You've got no armor, no shield, no. And he's taking advantage of you over and over and over. You got to have something to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Every time I heard this taught growing up, they stopped right there. Paul doesn't stop, comma, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, notice the war mentality. Keep alert, keep alert, keep alert. He's given, what you see in this passage is he's given us his word. His spirit and direct access to his throne of grace. That's what you have for the war that you're in. Are you tapping into it? We got Christians so worked up over so many secondary issues. And they think I can't miss a minute of the news. Because I got to know what I need to be mad about now. You guys. 
There's a war and something that matters more. And we need Christians to get back on mission and get away from secondary issues because our enemy is taking people down. Live for what matters most and get equipped to do what matters most. But it'll take some time. You need to understand that spiritual warfare is not some spooky, weird thing unto itself in a different category where we suddenly shift gears because, oh, this is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is at the very heart of our everyday garden variety struggles with sin and temptation that so many times we ignore and just say, well, that's not a big deal. You realize how many times the, the New Testament writers will bring Satan into view in the midst of what sometimes Christians treat as a very garden variety sin. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Consider bitterness and unforgiveness. Oh, so many Christians act like forgiveness is an option. I might, I might not. I don't know. You don't know what she did to me. Here's what I need you to realize. Your enemy, Satan, loves that way of thinking. You're the one being taken advantage of. You're not like, oh, yeah, and I feel so much better because I like not forgiving her or not forgiving him. Well, here's what goes on. Second Corinthians 2. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. This is Paul. If you know the context of 2 Corinthians, the book of 2 Corinthians, his second letter, he had been so hurt by this group of Christians. Did you realize that? After he had spent time with them and pointed them to Christ and started the church, a group of people came in behind him and said, Paul's no apostle. Don't listen. He's not even an apostle because in that day, your authority was based on how much you charged for talks. And he charged nothing for his talks. He did it for free and he worked as a tent maker. And the very thing he meant to be a good example so that no one could say he did it for money, they used it against him and said, look, he doesn't even charge for his talks. He was so hurt by that group of Christians. But he says this, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I've forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for the sake, your sake in the presence of Christ. He knew what Christ had forgiven him. And then he adds this. Here's what's at stake. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we're not ignorant of his devices. You realize one of his favorite devices is for you to live bitter and unforgiving. He's got you. You've stepped right into the trap. It's going to render you useless. It's going to suck you further and further down a path. It's not a little thing. That's spiritual warfare. Right there. What about anger? Seems to be the rage today. Pun intended. We've got so many Christians that have decided, oh man, it's time to be outraged. Just live angry and you'll really get things done for God. That's a lie. And our enemy loves it. Ephesians 4, 26, 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down. On your, we've got Christians that every night are going to bed angry because they watch the news again. Every day, angry. Here's what he says. And give no opportunity to the devil. The NIV says, and do not give the devil a foothold. When you are angry and you stay angry, you open the door and say, come on in, Satan. And he can get a foothold from which to work further in your life. Anger. Anger. 
Envy, selfish ambition. Listen to James 3. So we've got Paul talking this way, James talking this way, and Peter talks this way. The New Testament writers put spiritual warfare right in the midst of everyday struggles with sin and temptation. Not a spooky thing unto itself. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. You're like, what? Yes, selfish ambition and envy is demonic. You're aligning yourself with the spiritual forces of darkness. You're giving them place in your life. What about lying and deception? Everybody lies today, Brad. Who tells the truth? Do you realize Satan is the father of You're never more like him and you're never giving place to him and saying, come on in. than when you live a deceptive life on any level and you lie. Acts chapter five, verse three. This is in the early church where people were selling land and possessions and giving it to the church so that everybody could be helped. You realize the Bible doesn't say everybody had to do that. And it didn't say if you chose to sell something, you had to give it all. What it does say is don't lie. Don't pretend you did something you didn't do. Big deal, little deal. Well, God killed them. I think a big deal. And so here's Peter looking at Ananias. And he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceed of the land? And Ananias dropped dead and they dragged his body out. And then his wife came in not knowing that he'd already come in and died. And she did the same thing. Another dead one. Wow. And it's not just God hates lying. We're being showed here that this is a part of Satan. This is spiritual warfare. Why has Satan, when you're going down a path of deception, you are being controlled and taken over by Satan and dark forces. When you live unforgiving, when you live bitter, when you live with selfish ambition and envy, when you live angry, this is how you lose the war. So what the New Testament writers are teaching is that you don't have to be demon-possessed to come under the influence of demonic forces and to be taken advantage of. All you have to do is give yourself over to unchecked, unrepented, unconcerned pride, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, selfish ambition, and deception. And you are opening the door to Satan in your life to deceive you, to ensnare you, and to take you further down a path than you ever intend to go, deeper and darker. And it all is a part of sometimes what Christians act like are little sins that maybe I'll address one day or maybe I'll just allow it to run freely in my life. I have a challenge for all of you. Wherever you are spiritually today, number two, don't, don't listen to this message without applying it to your own life. If you're here and you're not a believer or you're listening online, don't keep wondering, when is God going to do something about the evil in this world? My friend, he did. He did. And he will yet 
do more. And I want you to understand, it's his mercy that delays that more. That more that's coming. Oh, listen, this demoniac in the tombs here, his suffering is nothing compared to our Savior. When we get to the end of Luke's gospel, you're going to see Jesus outside the city, hanging naked on a cross, crying out to God, why have you forsaken me? Bleeding to death for our sins in payment for evil and sin. Why? So that Jesus, when he returns, because the Bible says it's Jesus coming back to judge the world. That same sweet Jesus in the manger, that humble, lowly, gentle Jesus. Yes, that's who he is for you today, but he's coming back as King Jesus with a sword from his mouth to smite the nations. He died on the cross so that he could one day wipe out evil without wiping out us. Because we are part of evil. We are part of that evil. Stop saying, when's he going to do something about it? He has and he will. And today is the day of salvation. You will never get free in your own. You will never get on top of your own. I'm going I'm to just decide. And you will never change this world in your own strength. Get on whatever committee you want. Launch whatever movement you want to launch. And you will continually just say, Why? Do people keep doing these things to each other? What is wrong? What is wrong? God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And in this brokenness, he actually meant for us to be light. So now a word to you Christians. Believe it or not, we're his plan. Stop waking up and living like you have no purpose. I don't care what your job is. I don't care what your health is. I don't care how your home is. You have a purpose. He he would say to you, just like he said to the demoniac in verse 39, go home and tell everyone what great things God has done for you. That's why 1 Peter chapter 2 says this, but you are a chosen race, talking to believers, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. Now, here's our purpose. What am I supposed to do? Run crazy and, and, and harp about all these secondary issues? Nope. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're in the light. Share the light. You who once were not a people have become the people of God. You who once did not know mercy have now received mercy. We ought to be some of the happiest, happiest, most helpful, hopeful, gracious, merciful people on the earth. That's what he has us here for. It's time for the people of God to come back to the mission of God. In our weakness, he wants to use us. Oh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for access to your throne day and night. Help us to wake up alert to the real battle. Help us to understand demonic forces and Satan right in the mix of our everyday struggles. Help us to stop being taken advantage of. Help us to live like there is a war. Help us to be alert and help us to live For what matters most, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.